But tonight, let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to do a lot of Bible reading tonight. And uh, I would encourage you to take notes on this one. But um, I am going to deal with a subject, or we're going to talk about a subject, or a, a doctrine that is very common, very popular in churches, and that is the doctrine of imminency. Okay? And if you don't know what imminency is, that means that Jesus Christ can come at any moment. At any moment, Jesus Christ could return, the trumpet could sound, the rapture could happen. I mean, the next event on the prophetical calendar is the trumpet blowing, is the rapture. That is very common teaching, very popular. And you know what? I'm just going to admit it right now. I love the idea of that. Man, do I love the idea of that. But if the Bible doesn't teach it, if it says something else, then no matter how much we like it, we can't really teach that, can we? We've, we've got to do what the Bible says. And unfortunately, I think, you know, and there's a lot of reasons for this. I'm going to probably cover one reason I think so many churches have gotten off in this subject tonight. But I want to show you that uh, we're going to look at what the Bible says first. Because when we look at what the Bible says, it's all of a sudden you're going to ask yourself the question, how did imminency, how did this teaching get so ingrained in the church? How did it get in our minds? Because it's so clear that it's just not there in the Bible. I wish it was there. I'll be honest with you. I spent a long time trying to make it fit. <laughs> but uh, finally just had to look at what the Bible had to say. And so we're going to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I, I've got to be careful not to get off on too many side subjects on this because we'll be here too long. But I mainly want to talk about this whole, what I call the imminency conspiracy. All right? And I, I enjoy good conspiracy theory. And this might just be another conspiracy theory. But I've, I've asked myself for several, you know, a few years now, you know, how did this happen? How did it get so ingrained in my own mind? And I'm going to tell you how I think it happened with me. Something, a very powerful tool that was used to convince me and to make it so hard for me to, you know, just agree with what the Bible says. And, uh, and that's what kind of what the conspiracy is, I guess. But first, I want us to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to see what the Bible actually says. And we're going to read slow. All right, I'm going to read slow because I, I want us to get this, okay? I want you to get it from reading the scripture. I want you to know it so you can take it and you can show it to someone else. So I encourage you to take notes on this. But 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 1 says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. Now, that's clearly talking about the rapture. Sometimes people will separate the rapture from the second coming of Christ. And here it says his coming, and so it would be easy to say, well, that's talking about the second coming at Armageddon, but no, it says our gathering together, okay? So uh, the gathering together, the gathering is the rapture. When we are caught up together you know, with them, talking about the dead in Christ, to meet him in the sky, or to meet the Lord in the air, so our gathering together, clearly the rapture. And then he says that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter, as from us that the day of Christ is at hand. Okay, the day of Christ. The, he said, don't be deceived. That, or he said, don't think that it's at hand. 
Let no man deceive you by any means for that day. What day? The day of Christ. That day shall not come except there come a falling away first. Okay, now what is the falling away? We're not going to talk about the falling away tonight, but um, there are some different theories about what it is out there. But despite what you think about the falling away, some people say, well, that's happening right now. And I think we're kind of seeing a little precursor to it, but I don't think it's the big one yet. But it says, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. That's clearly talking about the Antichrist. It says the rapture can't come, the day of Christ, our gathering together cannot come, except the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And we're not going to look at all the scriptures on it, but clearly the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet that happens in the middle of the 70th week of Daniel, the seven-year period that is commonly known as the tribulation. And I just want to say right now that nowhere in the Bible does it say the tribulation lasts seven years. You can't find a verse anywhere that says that, but there is a seven-year period, a final seven years that is to come that in the middle of it, the abomination of desolation happens. But the Bible never calls that whole seven years the tribulation. And so, just keep that in mind. But it's so, right here it says, our gathering, the day of Christ, it cannot come except these things happen first. Except the abomination of desolation happen first. Very, very clear. Verse 5, remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now ye know that he withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And this is an important thing to remember too. The mystery of iniquity, it's been at work for a long time. And so there's many things that we can see that are going to be telling us, man, the Antichrist has got to be just about the surface. He's got to be just about to show himself. And the truth is, I believe that the devil's been working on getting this going since Paul's day, but there's something withholding him. You know, it's not God's time yet. Okay, God has to give the okay. I personally believe God's got to break the seals. Okay, that we see, and after God breaks those seals, then He'll let Him do it. But anyway, verse eight, and then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of His mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of His coming. Okay, now watch this verse. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Okay? So it says his coming, it's after Satan's work with all power and signs and lying wonders. Okay? And many people will try to tell you when you look at this, well, that day of Christ that it's talking about, it's not the rapture, it's talking about Armageddon. But what about the whole gathering thing? Okay? Our, the gathering clearly is the rapture. It doesn't happen at Armageddon. You know, it happens, it happens before Armageddon. All right? And so then and he, so he says, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan. His coming is after. Well, when is the work of Satan happen? Okay, keep your finger in 2 Thessalonians, but turn over to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 21. This is just spelled out very clear. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. So Matthew 24, verse 21. For then 
shall be great tribulation. And he tells us this right after the abomination of desolation. Just like in 2 Thessalonians, it talks about the abomination of desolation. For th and then, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days are shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. So right there we see, after the abomination of desolation, we have... False Christ, false prophets, false Christ, Antichrist, false prophet, the false prophet, maybe Pope Francis himself, you know, <laughs> if we're lucky. Uh, you know, who, and, and they're going to show great signs and lying wonders. Now, has anybody seen that yet? Has anybody seen any great miracles that could really deceive anybody? I, I, I haven't. I've not seen any of this yet. And I said, I, I've been watching, man. I'm, I'm watching the Pope like a hawk. If I knew who the Antichrist was, I'd be watching him like a hawk, but I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't know who he is. He's not been revealed yet. And I, I'm not totally convinced that he will completely be revealed until the abomination of desolation. I mean, it's, that's very possible based on the scripture. So right here we see in Thessalonians, it says, after the abomination of desolation, before Christ can come back, Satan's going to do his miracles and lying wonders exactly like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. And so then go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Okay, so after Christ does return after our gathering, after he comes back in the clouds and he raptures us out of here, and every, it's, it's too late for those people after that. Now God is going to pour his wrath out on the world and it's too late. God's judging them now. They're not going to be getting saved during that time. Okay, So right here we see, I think, outlined very clearly the order of events. You've got abomination of desolation, You've got the devil doing his miracles and lying wonders, and then you have the coming of Christ, just like we see in Matthew chapter 24. But there, and there's some other events. We're going to look at some events in the Bible because, remember, imminency means Jesus Christ can come back at any time. Even though, so don't let anybody deceive you that the day of Christ is at hand. And there are some things, as anxious I am for Christ to return, there are some things that have to happen first that the Bible tells us. And one of those things is the sun being darkened and moon turned to blood. And I'm preaching this for a reason because guess what's coming up September 28th? The blood moon, okay? And everybody's like, this is prophetic. This mean, you know, this, this could be it. Jesus Christ is going to return. Uh, but here's the thing. Um, if Jesus Christ is about to return based on that blood moon, where was the tribulation? Boy, we sure had it pretty good here in America. I know there's a lot of places around the world where it looks like tribulation right now. But man, how did we miss it? You know, we've really got off easy. How did we miss the mark of the beast? How did we miss the abomination of desolation? I, now, is it possible for us to miss those things? I actually believe it is. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But um, I don't think we're in that condition to miss it could be wrong 
And, and you'll find out why about that in a little bit. But let's look at what the Bible says about the sun being dark and the moon turned to blood. Okay, because we're just going to look at simple English here, all right? We're just going to read. Okay, I'm not going to do like a lot of these guys that teach this eminency stuff. Whenever they refute what I'm trying to teach, they do what I call like the sleight of hand magic tricks. Okay, the whole point of a magic trick, you know, they use misdirection. Okay, they get you focused on something else while they do something, you know, something else is going on to the side. And they'll start preaching on these things. And you'll notice whenever they preach on this stuff, they jump to all these different subjects and things. You know, they'll start talking about one thing and then they'll go tell some story that has nothing to do with what they're talking about. And then all of a sudden they bring you back. And see, you know, you see how I made it all fit? No, I kind of got lost because I got sucked into your story you were telling. And I don't want to do that. I just want to read. Okay, I want to read what the Bible says. Okay, because look at what Joel chapter 2 verse 31. You know, it's going to be hard to follow along. I'm going to jump around and for time's sake, we can't wait too long. But Joel 2.31 and Acts 2.20 say the same thing. Acts 2.20 is quoting Joel 2.31. And it says, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Okay? Be before. Now, does anybody know what before means in the Greek? It means before. Pretty much. Alright? So if something's going to happen before, okay? Alright, Christmas is going to come this year, isn't it? But before Christmas comes, Thanksgiving's going to come first, isn't it? Now, I'm looking forward to Christmas, but I do believe that Thanksgiving's coming first, and it doesn't mean I'm not looking forward to Christmas. And listen, Jesus Christ is coming, and I'm looking forward to it, but it doesn't mean that there aren't some things that can happen first. And right here we see that before the great and terrible day of the Lord come, the sun's going to be darkened and moon turned to blood. Acts 2.20, the sun should be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord. Okay, so that has to happen before the day of the Lord. Okay, now what is the day of the Lord exactly? Okay, because some might be thinking, well, the day of the Lord, that's talking about Armageddon. That's not talking about the rapture. Okay, you know, you want to use that argument on me. All right, are, are, are you going to stick with that, okay? Because... It's going to get blown away here in just a minute. All right? So, no, the day of the Lord, it's not the rapture. Day of the Lord, it's not the rapture, okay? I know nobody's arguing with me, but let me argue with you. It's just fun. You go ahead and keep thinking that, okay? Because I'm going to show you something that will blow your mind here in a minute, okay? But I think we all can agree the sun's turned to darkness and moon to blood before the day of the Lord, right? I mean, that's pretty clear, isn't it? I'm not playing any tricks on you here. I, I am if, about the whole... You keep telling me that the day of the Lord's not the rapture. I mean, I'm playing a trick on you there. But anyway, Zephaniah 1.14. So what is the day of the Lord exactly? Well, the great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. The day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress. A day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers, and I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord, and their blood shall be poured out as the dust, and their flesh as the dung. Okay, so it's a time of wrath. The day of the Lord is a time of wrath. Very clearly. Verse 18. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. For he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them 
that dwell in the land. Okay, so clearly, and there's tons more scriptures we could go to on the day of the Lord. But the day of the Lord is a time where God pours his wrath out on this world. And the sun is turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. Now, look at Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. Because when does the sun get turned to darkness and the moon to blood? Okay, well, in Revelation chapter 6, verse 12, it is very clear when it happens. Okay, it's on the sixth seal. Okay, first seal, you know, you got the white horse, the red horse, the pale horse, the black horse. You know, you've got the war, the famine, the pestilence. You've got the martyrs that are, that are being killed for their faith. And then we get to the sixth seal. And look at what it says in Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. And I beheld, and when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. This is the real blood moon, okay? This is the real one. Verse 14, and make a note of this verse here, because I'm going to show you something later too that will blow your mind. And the heaven departed as a scroll, when it is, uh, as a scroll, when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men. Where do we just read about some mighty men? And rich men, neither their silver nor their gold, will be able to protect in the day of the Lord. And every bondman and every freeman hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said unto the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? After the sixth seal, after the sun is darkened and moons turn to blood, we see. God begins to pour his wrath out, just like we see in Zephaniah. Neither their silver and gold is able to deliver them in that day. They can go in their little bunkers that they've got out, you know, hidden underground. They can protect them from everything, and it's not going to work. The mighty man will cry there bitterly. They're crying, you know, fall on us. Just hide us from the face of the Lamb. And they're, they're scared. They're terrified because the day of the Lord is a time of wrath. That is what the day of the Lord is all about. Look up verses in the day of the Lord, and it's just wrath, wrath, scary, scary, punishment, punishment. Hey, it's a terrible, terrible time. And the day of the Lord's wrath, the wrath of God, because most other verses, too, that prove that the rapture happens before the tribulation is God has not appointed us to wrath. But wait, the wrath of God isn't until after the sun's darkened and moon turned to blood. So you can't really use any of those verses because two, and we're not going to go through all the seals, but none of those first five seals is God doing anything. I mean, it's war. That's man's doing. You know, pestilence, that's just this earth that we live on. You know, you got death and all these things that are going on. That's not God doing it. That's man doing these things. Now, after the sixth seal, when the seventh seal is broken, there are seven trumpets. And those seven trumpets and seven vials, that is the wrath of God. Those seven vials in them are filled up the wrath of God. Thank God we're not going to be here for the wrath of God. Thank God we don't have to see the demonic locust. You know, thank God we're not going to be here, you know, at Armageddon on the receiving end of the punishment. You know, we're going to, you know, we're going to be with Christ. Thank God we're not going to be here for any of those things. Okay, but, um, you know, that, but that day of the Lord clearly is a time of God's wrath. And that comes after the sun is dark and the moon turned to blood. 
very clearly. The day of the Lord also comes after the tribulation. Matthew chapter 24, verse 29. Okay, Matthew 24, 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. Now, you know, what is tribulation? People are always talking about the tribulation, seven years of tribulation. But tribulation, every time, almost every time you see it in the Bible, it's talking about what we go through as believers. It, there's, I mean, we've, you know, the believers have gone through tribulation since Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. Paul went through tribulation. Paul talked all the time about the tribulation he went through. He said, in the world ye shall have tribulation. God's people go through tribulation. There are people all over the world today, saved people that are going through tribulation. But us Americans, man, we're so spoiled, we can't imagine anything bad ever happening to us. And we act like tribulation, it, it is the work of God, but it's not. It's the work of man. Tribulation, it's a result of the devil. It's a result of the Antichrist persecuting God's people. And Satan's persecuted God's people since the beginning of time. We've always gone through tribulation, but this the tribulation, this seven-year tribulation, you can't find anywhere in the Bible where it says tribulation is seven years. You can't do it. Daniel's 70th week is seven years. But only part of that is the tribulation. And I challenge you to find a verse that says something to the contrary of that. You can't find it. It's not there. I've looked several times. I tried to find it. I tried to make it fit. Couldn't do it. And I gave up. But anyway, so Matthew 24, 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to another. Hey, sounds kind of like the rapture, doesn't it? I mean, you've got a trumpet blown, you've got Jesus Christ in the clouds, you've got angels gathering the elect, uh, gathering together. Clearly, the rapture that we're talking about. But you know what? Many who say the day of the Lord is not the rapture, they, their best arguments for proof that the rapture is before the tribulation are verses about the day of the Lord. Okay? So do you want to stick with the argument that the day of the Lord is not the rapture? The day of the Lord is not talking about the rapture? Do you really want to stick with that? Because I'm going to give you some imminency verses that, you know, and that's what they'll do. When you talk to them, no, the day of the Lord is not the rapture. The day of the Lord is not the rapture. Okay, well, show me some verses that says the rapture is imminent. Well, okay, here we go. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 1, I'll give them to you. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. That's one of their verses they use to prove eminency. That the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. Now, they like to, you know, the rapture is going to come as a thief in the night. Jesus Christ is going to return. He's coming as a thief in the night. You're not going to see it coming. He's coming as a thief in the night. No, the day of the Lord's coming as a thief in the night. Okay, so you really want to stick with that and say that that's not the rapture. Okay, that's fine. But now you can't say that the rapture is coming as a thief in the night. Because it never says that in the Bible. It says the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Alright, so you just lost a lot of your verses. And it's like, no, it's the secret because 
There's all these verses. People aren't going to see it coming. But I want to show you very clearly in the scriptures, there is an us and there is a them in these. And we who are saved and watching, we will see it coming. Those who are lost or a backslidden Christian that's not watching, that's not paying attention, they will not see it coming. And all the verses too that talk about it being a surprise, it's not talking to those who are awake. And I'm just going to assume we're awake Christians tonight. Okay? I guess it's possible. I imagine most Christians think they're awake. I'll give you that maybe we are asleep. I hope not. I, I've been pinching myself trying to wake up. You know, I, I, I don't want to be asleep through this. But I, I will admit that I guess you could say that that is a possibility that we've slept through some things. Okay, But the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. And you will, you'll have this argument in a circle. No, the rapture is imminent. He's going to come as a thief in the night. No, the day of the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. The day, and the sun's dark and moon turned to blood before the day of the Lord. You know, the tribulation is, or the day of the Lord is after the tribulation. Well, the day of the Lord is not the rapture. Boy, boy, you just can't win in that argument. You're going in a circle. And you just, you can't win. Verse 3, for when they shall say, when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Do you see the difference there? He's coming on them as a thief, but not on you. Ye are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for that. When the day of the Lord comes, the way, you know, as far as day of the Lord, day of Christ, I believe it's basically the same thing. The day of the Lord is always referred when talking to the lost. It's the day of the Lord. It's the day of the Lord's wrath. It's bad for them. Many times when he's talking to the believer, he says the day of Christ. Because for us, it's glorious. And I mean, we're taken out. And when we're taken out, okay, when Jesus comes in the clouds and every eye sees him, he sends his angels. He gathers his elect. The world sees him. But they're scared. They're hiding. And he pours his wrath out on them. The day of Christ, the day of the Lord, I believe they happen at the same time. They happen at the rapture. On our end, we would call it the day of Christ. We're looking forward to the day of Christ. For the world, they call it the day of the Lord. And for them, it's about wrath. For us, it's exciting. It's the blessed hope. It's the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay, so... God hasn't pointed us to wrath. We are not here for the wrath of God. So every one of those verses that you know, people use prove we're out of here before the seven-year tribulation because we're not here for the wrath of God. Well, the time of the wrath of God is the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord happens after the sixth seal, after the sun is dark and the moon turned to blood, after the abomination of desolation, after Satan does his miracles and lying wonders. That's, I mean, we, we read it. It's spelled out very clear. All right? But another eminency verse that people love to use to prove eminency is, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. It's going to be like in the days of Noah. And how in the world can people not know that Jesus Christ is about to return when tribulation is going on? Things are so horrible, how are people not going to know? 
Well, let me ask you this. What does the Bible say about the days of Noah? The world was filled with violence. There was only one righteous family, Noah's family. It was bad then. The whole world was filled with violence. That's how it was in the days of Noah. Yet here in Matthew, look at what it says. It says, for as in the days that were before the flood, they, once again, notice the they, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. People act like it was a peaceful time during the days of Noah, but no, it was, the world was filled with violence. But our world is so wicked. I mean, we look at what's going on in our world, and yet people go on their merry way like nothing's wrong. I mean, look at just, you know, all the abortion that goes on in our country, and we're, we're fine. You know, everything's great as long as we have plenty to eat. I mean, look at the, the starvation that's going on in parts of the world. Look at ISIS and what they're doing in parts of the world. I mean, there's Christians being killed for their faith all over the world, but yet we're sound asleep because where we're at, it's okay. And even though this world is terrible, you know, it doesn't mean it's just, just it's like this nonstop action disaster movie, okay? And in the days of Noah, even though the world was filled with violence, people were still married, eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage, okay? Until the day that Noah entered the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be, okay? Notice how it's talking about them. And then he said, then shall two be in the field, one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Sounds kind of like the rapture, doesn't it? Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Okay, now this verse, this is a big one. Ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. And this is a huge verse as proof that the rapture is imminent. You go read anything online. You go on raptureready.com, all those things, and they will say that that's proof that the rapture is imminent. You don't know what hour your Lord doth come. Okay, so you want to use that verse? You're going to use that verse like the day of the Lord? Okay, well then guess what? That means the two in the field, one taking the other left, is the rapture. People are trying to say there's two rapture. There's you know one for the church and there's one for the Jews later. But then they will use that verse as proof of eminency when it's talking about a rapture that happens after the tribulation. You can't have it both ways. All right, we got some serious double talk going on here. And it's just, you know, unfortunately, people just haven't studied it. We like to use bits and pieces. We like to take little clips and, uh, you know, little verses like that. But I've done it before myself, folks. <laughs> I, I, you know, and... But we're not, not going to do that. It's very clear. So it's funny how all these verses that prove eminency are clearly things that are spelled out as happening after the tribulation and referring to the day of the Lord. Verse 43, But know this, if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Here's another eminency verse. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Oh, I missed that one. Stink. You know, they're right. Oh, that's, that's a huge, man. This is supposed to be the final nail in our coffin. Okay, verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But if... That evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, 
and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay? And I submit to you that that passage is talking about those who aren't ready, those who are asleep, those who are disobedient to God. Well, you're reading into that. You're adding stuff to it. Oh, you going to tell me that too? Right, you going to tell you? Uh, I've covered my bases on this, all right? So go to Luke chapter 12, verse 36. We have the same story, the same time, the same parable, but there's a little detail added in here that nobody brings up when using these verses for imminency. Luke 12, 36. And ye yourselves, like unto men that wait for their Lord, when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch, or come in the third watch, and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know that if the good men of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. And I say to you, that is not talking about those who are saved and awake. It's talking about those who are lost or asleep. And here is the proof. Here is the detail that's added in Luke that we don't see in Matthew 24. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or even to all? Are you talking, is, is this just to us? Or are you saying you're going to come in an hour when we're not expecting you? Or are you talking to everybody here? Who are you talking to, Lord? Peter asked him. And the Lord said, who then is a faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming and shall begin to beat the men's servants and maidens and to eat and drink and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him and in an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in sunder and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Notice how I specified that's that one that's not looking. The guy that's not paying attention. The guy that's living in sin. The one who's being disobedient. I'm going to come on him in an hour when he's not expecting. I'm going to, he's not going to see it coming. Jesus specified who he was talking about there. He was talking about the wicked servant. Okay? Now, that could have been Peter if he didn't stay faithful. You know, that could be us if we fall asleep, if we backslide on God, if we don't take these things serious, that can happen to, and it will happen to us. So, is that talking about us? Well, here's the thing. Are you going to be being faithful when he returns? Are you going to be watching? If you are, then you're going to be okay. You'll be sick. You'll see it coming. But if you're not, if you're asleep, if you're being disobedient, it's, you're not going to see it coming. So very clear what he taught there in Luke chapter 12. And it just happens to line up because Scripture always lines up with Scripture. In Revelation 3, 3, he says, Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, if you don't watch, if thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. And thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Okay? So if God's threatening someone, saying, 
if you don't watch, I'll come on you as a thief in an hour when you're not expecting it. What does that mean if we do watch? Well, then he won't come on us at an hour when we're not expecting and we're not looking. We will see it coming. I mean, <laughs> pretty clear right there. So, I mean, just simple deduction. But 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but his long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Okay, right there. Day of the Lord is coming as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with great noise. See, that's not talking about the rapture. That's talking about, you know, it's talking about Armageddon, or, you know, something it's even talking about after the millennium, you know, when everything gets burned up and there's a new heaven and a new earth. But I believe this is actually talking about the rapture. And I struggled with this one for a long time. And you know, one of, actually, one of the things that helped this all sink I, that, I, that was been right under my nose my entire life, and I never saw it, just happened to be in a song that we sing all the time. And this is where we're going to start getting to my conspiracy, because when you look at the Bible, it, the imminency thing is just not there. Okay? And there were many other scriptures they could use that I, that I wish I had time to go into. All you have to do when anybody gives you an imminency, imminency verse Read a few verses before or a few verses after. And you'll see it's either talking about the day of the Lord, which has to happen after the sixth seal, unless a lot of the Bible's wrong, which has to happen after the tribulation, or it's a passage that's talking to those who are not watching and those who are you know, unfaithful. And it, every single time. But I didn't realize one of our most well-known, most beloved hymns is about as post-tribulation as you can get. I mean, and a lot of times, too, people like to bring up the historical. You know, well, you know, historically, you know, it's always been pre-trib or post-trib, and everybody can use history to their advantage, okay? History is not inspired, okay? And I wasn't, I wasn't there, but a very well-known song written in 1876, okay? 1876 just happened to have been sung for the first time on November 24th, which just happens to be my birthday, and it is the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Okay? Now, if people don't like what I'm preaching here tonight, they shouldn't sing, It Is Well With My Soul. Especially one of everyone's favorite verses, the last verse that says, And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend, even so, it is well with my soul. Say, how is that post-trip? Well, go look at Revelation chapter 6 and verse 12. There is only one place in the Bible that talks about the clouds being rolled back as a scroll. There's only one place in the Bible where you can find that, and it's in Revelation 6, 12. And I beheld, and when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Sun, dark, and moon turned to blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind, and the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. It's the only place in the Bible where you will see that. After the sixth seal, 
Okay, then the heavens roll back as a scroll, okay, and then goes into the day of the Lord thing. And in Matthew chapter 24, verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, sun shall be dark and moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory, and he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound. Y'all see that? Just like in the song. I think H.G. Spafford knew his prophecy. I think he had read the Bible. And that song right there, when the, you sing that song, talking about the rapture, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall descend, the Lord shall descend, that is based off Scripture referring to the sixth seal that happens after the tribulation. After the sun is darkened and moon turned to blood. And so back in 1876, I mean, you know, at least H.G. Spafford knew what he was talking about. It. We've been singing this song saying that exact same thing, you know, for years. One of the most well-known, one of the most well-known hymns. And so I, I was like, you know what? Because what, I'm going to be honest. One of the things that made me struggle the most as I started reading the Bible and what it said about this, it was not verses in the Bible that contradicted it. It was songs. It was songs. And this is where the conspiracy part comes in. So I started looking to see if I could find any songs, old songs, that refer to imminency. Because there's a bunch of new ones. And uh, look at, in, in our hymn book, I want you to look up the song, What If It Were Today. In our hymn book, it is page, uh, let's see, page 155. I want you to look as right here. What if it were today was written in 1912? Okay? And look at what it says in, in our handbook. It says, Jesus is coming to earth again. What if it were today? In a dark hour, we know not when. What if it were today? Coming to take, claim his chosen bride, all the redeemed and purified over this whole world, scattered wide. What if it were today? And then the very last line of the song Jesus may come today. Imminency, right? Well, I looked up, I've got, a, I've got a, some hymn history books, and I looked up this hymn. It was written by Leela Norris in 1912. And you know what happened? They changed the words in our songbook. They changed the words of the song. Jesus may come today. Well, look what it, the original words to the song were... The, when it gets to the... It says, you know, Jesus coming to earth again. What if it were today... Coming in power and love to reign. I don't know if they took that out because that sounds too Armageddon-ish or something. And then the very last line of the song was simply, what if it were today? Just think about, you know, what if it were today? There's nothing wrong with thinking about that. Nothing wrong with singing that. What if it were today? If it were today, I'd be thrilled. I'd be excited. I would love it if I was dead wrong on this and we already missed the tribulation and abomination and desolation, didn't see it coming. Huh? I mean, I don't want to be asleep when the Lord returns, but at the same time, I'd still be glad if he returned. What if it were today? And that's all the song says, but our hymn book changed it. Stinking NIV hymn book. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> but it, the songs, they're huge. Because, you know, the thing is, it's hard to remember sermons. People forget sermons. But songs stick with you. They stay, they, you know, they stay with you. And the only old song I could find, I'm not saying there aren't any, but I did. I searched high and low. I looked, and the 
only one I could find that showed any type of eminence was the song, Is It, Is it the Crowning Day? It was written in 1910 by Henry Ostrom. It's in our hymn book. And the first line is, Jesus may come today, glad day, glad day. That's the only one I can find that shows any kind. And you know what? There were people back in 1910 preaching on eminency. Right? That's clear. I don't care if they were doing it in 1800. Okay, if the Bible doesn't teach it, it really doesn't matter. But there were, there were I, I can find at least one song, but it's really where, I said I wasn't alive during this time, but I literally have had people argue their points, and they don't use scriptures for eminency. I've, they've used lines and songs. Literally, lines and songs. You know, one famous song by the patron saint of, Southern gospel music, you know, Bill Gaither himself, he wrote a song in 1970 called The King is Coming. And listen to the words of this song, see if you can figure it out. And listen, when they sing this song, it is very moving. It is very exciting. Okay. But when you look at the words, and that's an important thing to do, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Listen to this. The marketplace is empty. No more traffic in the streets. All the builders' tools are silent. No more time to harvest wheat. Busy housewives cease their labors in the courtroom, no debate. Work on earth has been suspended as the king comes through the gate. He doesn't come through the gate until Armageddon. The king is coming, the king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding and now his face I see. The king is coming, the king is coming. Praise God, he's coming for me. Happy faces line the hallway. Those whose lives have been redeemed. Broken homes that he has mended. Those from prison he set free. Little children and the aged, hand in hand still all aglow. Who were crippled, broken, ruined, clad in garments white as snow. I can hear the chariots rumble. I can see the marching throng. And the flurry of God's trumpets spell the end of sin and wrong. Regal robes are now unfolding. Heaven's grandstands all in place. Heaven's choir is now ascending. Start to sing amazing grace. What happened to God pouring out his wrath? It sounds like this is when Jesus comes, he's just going to fix everybody's problems and reign from there on. But no, when he comes, he's judging the world for all those problems. And that's and we, you know, Armageddon is going to be a very bloody time. And you go on YouTube and listen to them sing this song. It's moving. But don't pay too close attention to the words because it, it just it doesn't make any sense. But that was a big one in 1970. It's still sung in a lot of places today. Another famous song too. And literally, it, it kills me that I can't sing this song. But, you know, it could happen in a moment. In a twinkling of an eye, it could happen in a moment. We could break the eastern sky. And then, of course, I am listening every moment. For the mighty trumpet sound, very eminency song, very popular song, 1975. Not that old. Maybe today, it's also, that's in our hymn book. Maybe today, my Lord will come for me. 1976 by Frank Garlock. Good guy, write good songs, but we're, yeah, I, don't, I don't see eminency in the Bible, but I see it in our songs. He's coming soon, okay? If you've all been here very long, you've heard that one because our family has sung this one a few times. And I, there's a whole another verse in this song I never heard before, but this one was written by Janet Pascal in 1983. And, you know, he's coming soon. There's no doubt. I'm going to leave this world with a shout. Sin will be gone. Everything will be right. Keep looking up. He may come tonight. And then trumpets will sound and those in the ground who have kept the faith will be heaven bound that we that remain we're going to I'm going to be there how about you and this is a verse I didn't know nations will tremble folks run to and fro there will be great confusion in this world below 
But we that remain sanctify his blood. I know that we're going. It's promised in his word. That doesn't even rhyme. But anyway, it's like confusion, chaos, tribulation. And those of us who remain, we're going to go. So it almost sounds after the tribulation, but the last line of the chorus is, keep looking up, he may come tonight. So that one just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Very enjoyable song. Okay, I, I happen to like it. But, uh, you know, some things have to happen first. And then another one, big one, 1985, just in case the rapture. Let me make this clear. It's only fair to warn you, you'll be seeing me disappear even while we stand here. So it comes as no surprise. I could leave at any moment in the twinkling of an eye. You know, and just in case the rapture takes place, I want you to know I'm really going to have to go. Can't hang around. I hear a trumpet sound just in case the rapture. Don't look for me around. Okay? Big eminency song, 1985. Uh, another one, this one, you know, and there's, there's many more that we can go into. Another one, um, I can't figure out who wrote this one or when it was wrote, but, written, but I know it was probably in the 70s or 80s, but it's a song, you know, I'm looking for Jesus to come any night or any day. Looking for him to come and take his bride away. If he don't come tonight, I'm looking for him at daylight. Looking for Jesus to come every day. And me saying these songs are wrong in many circles is flat out sacrilege. Okay, I mean, I might as well just be burning Bibles. <laughs> but it, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, that song says, Jesus said in his word that no man knows the hour when he would come back to earth again. That's right, isn't it? But when he'll come, I just can't say, but I believe he's on his way. And he'll come like a thief in the night. Wait a minute. Thief in the night has to happen after some things. Abomination of desolation, sun, dark, and moon turn to blood. Those, unless we miss those things, and those things happen after the tribulation, then you know it's it can't be denied unless you, you have to admit, if you say that, if you sing that, you have to admit, hey, if this song's true, folks, I'm a sleeping Christian tonight. <laughs> I mean, might, might as well do that. Uh, if, because it doesn't line up with Scripture. Are you ready? Are you ready for the trumpet? Okay, and this one is one that's kind of been changed. I, I think this one was written in 2000. It's the earliest thing I could find in it. Couldn't find a whole lot of um, information on this song. I can't even find the music for it. And I love this song. But there's two ways this song is being sung. And I don't know which one's the original. I think the way we sing it is the original. But the way we sing it, it says the Bible speaks of two men who were standing in the field where one is taken and one is left behind. Okay, we read about that happening after the tribulation in Matthew. Two women in the kitchen, one goes and one remains, so get your house in order while there's time. In the cross there is salvation, through the blood there is a way to secure your destination on that resurrection day. And I think some people have figured out that that happens after the tribulation, what they just sang about there. So, there is another version that's being sung. The Bible speaks so clearly that the trump of God shall sound and the saved in Christ will then be called away. My friend, if you're not ready, trust in him today, then with gladness in your heart, you too can say, at the cross there is salvation, through the blood there is a way to secure your destination at that resurrection day. So it's like they took out the one taken, one left behind thing, which left behind too. You don't want to get left behind. Well, that comes from a verse in the Bible where it says, two in the field, one taken, and the other left behind. That's the only place in the Bible where it says that. But it says that happens after the abomination of desolation, after the sun's dark and the moon turn to blood, after the tribulation. And so this song, the words are literally getting changed on this song to fit that. You know why? Because 
Doctrinal things, we are slow when it comes to Scripture to remember these things. We are slow to remember verses, but songs, if you can get the song in your head, if you, you can get the song in people's heads quick, and they will accept those things. I mean, when you sing about it all the time, you know, it's, it stinks admitting that a song you sing a lot and like isn't right biblically. I love He's Coming Soon, but it's not biblical. But also, you know, just, and there's many examples I can give of songs that literally have changed doctrines, that have changed our way of thinking. For example, if I said, who is it that's going to blow the trumpet in the rapture? Well, Gabriel's going to sound the horn. Gabriel will warn you. Some early morn, you will hear his horn. You ever heard that one? On Great Day, that's actually a pretty old song. But Gabriel will warn you. Well, where does that come from? Well, I've been trying to track that down. But Midnight Cry, another very famous rapture song that I just happen to love, says, I can almost hear the trumpet as Gabriel sounds the horn. But wait a minute. Daniel 12.1 says, At that time Michael shall stand up, that great prince would stand before the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. That's a rapture passage, and it mentions Michael standing up. Okay? And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the most famous rapture passage, it says, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of of the archangel and the trump of God. There is nowhere in the Bible that says Gabriel is an archangel, but it does Michael. It says Michael in Jude 1 9, yet Michael, the archangel. Okay, if you're the archangel, you're, the, you're on the top, right? So you can't really have two archangels, can you? It just doesn't work that way. And Michael is the archangel, but all the songs say Gabriel. And you don't know where I think that came from? I'm just, I'm just guessing on this one. But how many's ever heard the song, Great Getting Up Morning? In that great getting up morning, fairly well, fairly well. You ever heard that one? That, that, that was a big song. I, I didn't know this. That song was by Mahalia Jackson. She was a black gospel singer um, in 1961. And one of the verses in that song God going up and speak to Gabriel. Fairly well, fairly well. Oh, you say that after all these lines. God going up to speak to Gabriel. Pick up your silver trumpet. Pick up your silver trumpet. Blow your trumpet, Gabriel. And then, Lord, how loud shall I blow it? Oh, and then he says, Oh, to wake the cheering sleeping. And, and that was the kind of line of the song. And I don't know, it kind of, I don't know if it stuck then. I don't know if she started it. Gabriel's going to sound the trumpet. But you know who sounds the trumpet? You know who blows the trumpet? It says the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. Well, if it's the trump of God, it means it probably belongs to God, doesn't it? I believe God's going to blow the trumpet. Zechariah 9, 14 says, And the Lord shall be seen over them, and his arrow shall go forth as the lightning, and the Lord God shall blow the trumpet. Now, I don't believe that's a rapture passage. But it's clear that God has a trumpet that God blows. And so, but yet most people, if you ask them who's going to blow the trumpet, Gabriel, well, you didn't get that from the scripture because Gabriel's not even an archangel from the scripture. Michael's the archangel and it says with the voice. But all the songs say Gabriel will warn you. He's going to blow, he's going to blow the horn. He's going to blow the trumpet. And yet you go tell somebody that no, God blows the trumpet and Michael's the archangel. They're going to get mad at you. You know why? Not because of you contradicted their scripture or even their interpretation of a scripture because you just dissed their song. 
that they like. I mean, I'd, like, I'd probably get tomatoes thrown at me if I went to some churches and I, could, and I sang, I can almost uh, hear the trumpet as God sounds the call. I'd probably get tomatoes. It's Gabriel! <laughs> Based on what scripture? Good luck finding that one. It's, I believe it's God that blows a trumpet because it's a trump of God and God has a trumpet that he blows. So I, I think it just makes sense. But yet songs have been used, I believe, to shape our thinking on these things, to shape our doctrine. And when I was looking up a lot of these very famous songs, many of them were by singers that sang these and got popular off some of these crazy TV preachers from the 70s and 80s that I think messed up a lot of our teaching. I think some preachers got lazy and they just went with what they were saying. You know, this blood moon stuff that's out there, you know, that everybody's preaching. You know, unfortunately, they're just reading John Hagee's book, okay? And if there is any, there, there is no way there's anything prophetic about this blood moon because the only blood moon we see in the Bible is the one that happens at the sixth seal. And so, I guess there is one way this one's prophetic, and that is if we are asleep. If we are just about done with the tribulation, and we missed it. We missed the abundance. I've been watching for this for a long time. I can't imagine missing that. I've been, I've been, I've been watching these. If, it, if, if the Pope's not the false prophet, who could it be? I've been keeping my eye on him. He hasn't done any miracles. I haven't, I haven't seen it happen. I haven't seen anybody that looks like could be the Antichrist. You know, I mean, I've heard some good theories out there, but just none convincing yet. It really doesn't seem like we're there yet. And... I'm not, and unfortunately though, this kind of thing, it gets people really mad. If you tell if you say the return of Christ is not imminent because imminency is just accepted. It's fact. The whole pre-tribulation doctrine, the backbone of it, okay, according to raptureready.com where everybody gets their material, it is the backbone of it. And pre-tribulation has to be true because it's the only one that imminency is involved in. And you know what? I'd say, okay, that makes sense if imminency were taught in the Bible, but it's not. And here's another side note too. The same crowd that preaches imminency today and proves imminency from the Bible will tell you that Jesus Christ couldn't return until Israel became a nation in 1948. How can you teach imminency from the Bible and believe that Jesus couldn't return until Israel became a nation in 1948. You can't do that. It's impossible because the Bible was written way before 1948. Once again, the double talk. And you know what? I can't stand it anymore. <laughs> I, it, I, I think these things are very clear. We read it in black and white. And... It doesn't mean I'm not looking for the coming of Christ. I'm watching closer than ever. You know why? Because I want to see it coming. I want to be able to get excited about it. I mean, I, I, when this thing, when it all starts going down, man, I know the Bible talks about some scary things are going to happen, but, you know, I don't really care because when I think about what's ahead for the joy that's set before us, hey, I'll endure some tribulation if, it, if I know that we are about to see Christ. And so... Uh, you know, th this ought to, I believe, get us excited. I like the idea that there's going to be some signs. I mean, when the sun, I had a dream not too long ago that it, I, I woke up 
and it was supposed to be daytime and it was totally dark outside. And I remember in that dream, I just got excited and I ran outside looking to see if the moon looked like blood. <laughs> Thinking, is he coming back? Because I believe that's when, he, that's when he's coming. And man, can you imagine, especially, you know, unfortunately, you know, one of the reasons people aren't that excited about the coming of Christ is because life's too easy for them on this earth. Yet in most of the Bible too, where it talks about looking forward to the coming of Christ and the waiting is coming and being exciting about the coming, he's just finished talking about all the horrible things that we're going through on earth. And it's funny too, if you see you know, passages in the Bible where you know, somehow looks like the people thought the Lord was about to come, one thing you'll notice too, they were always in tribulation back then. And they were wondering, and that's why Paul told them, he's like, hey, it's not there yet. They're going through tribulation. But he's like, no, it is not at hand. The abomination of desolation hasn't happened yet. The falling away has not happened yet. Those have to happen first. And I hope this doesn't... This, doesn't get you less excited about the coming of Christ. I hope it gets you more excited. I hope it gets you looking even harder. I mean, I, I'm going to watch the Pope's speech this week. I'm going to watch it. Not because I support him, but when you look at the Revelation, when it talks about the false prophet, he is the one that lifts up the beast. He is the one that points people to the Antichrist. He is the one that gets everyone to receive the mark. It's the false prophet. And I'm looking just to see if he doesn't introduce us to somebody. Is he going to? Maybe not. Maybe not, but I'm watching. I am watching like a hawk. And if it all starts going down, I know all the all over the internet, September 23rd, the rapture is supposed to come. That's this week. September 23rd. And you know what? Boy, that'd be great if it did, but that means we're asleep. It's you have to admit that from the scripture. If you yeah, I'll say it could come. Tonight, it could come on the 23rd if we are asleep. If I am asleep, it could come tonight. But if I'm awake, there's no way. And I like to think I'm awake. If I'm not, I hope the Lord wakes me up. Because I, I want to see it come. I don't want to be ashamed at His coming like many people will be. And so with that, let's all stand together.